0: But we are going to move forward with the word this morning. Uh, This word really is, I guess every single week it's important, but I just, I think this is a special morning. This word is special. Um, On our Sunday evenings, we have been doing, and many of you know this, um, we've been doing our Overcomer study over there next door, which will be back there this evening for week three. But the Overcomer series has been about Each week, it's Ephesians 6, putting on the whole armor of God, and each week we have been learning about each different piece of the armor of God that Ephesians 6 tells us about. It's been going through it piece by piece, and it's such a good study, I've gotten a lot of comments, a lot of feedback, and a lot of people excited about it, that I can't help but still just be in that whole armor of God mode of thinking this morning, so uh, that's where direction we're going to go this morning. And, you know, if you think about the whole armor of God, one thing that's neat about it, at least to me, is it doesn't really matter where you're at in your walk with God. And I know that there's some of us who might be on a mountaintop right now, or everything's okay, or some might be in the valley low. In, in difficult situations, it doesn't really matter where you're at. Anywhere in between there, the whole armor of God is very pertinent no matter where you're at in life. If you've been saved for one year or for 25 years, it doesn't matter. You still need the whole armor of God. And this study has just been excellent and very practical Very where the rubber meets the road, and I just enjoy it and love it, and I've gotten a lot of feedback. But Ephesians 6 tells us to put on the full armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Meaning to put on the spiritual armor that the Bible describes so that when bad stuff happens to you, that when attacks happen to you, that when storms bombard you, your life, your family, your marriage, your children, you better have your armor on. Why? So you can withstand them. And I love Ephesians 6. When life attacks... Or when just stuff happens, brothers and sisters, you better have your armor on. You've got to. There's no other way around it. So you can stand. So you can withstand the onslaught. So you can withstand the storm, the winds, and the rain. You have to have that stuff on you. You can't be caught without it. Or you'll be blown away, as we'll see. Now, I know I've been telling you already about Ephesians 6, but I think there's a, a lesson that Christ gives us a parable. And many of us know the most famous sermon ever preached, the most famous sermon ever taught, Christ's Sermon on the Mount, which takes place in Matthew's 5, 6, and 7, respectively. But at the end of Christ's Sermon on the Mount, He tells us in Matthew chapter 7, He gives us a parable that I feel like the Lord has directed us to this morning that goes hand in hand With the whole armor of God. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew chapter 7 at the tail end of Christ's Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look at something that Jesus taught that is very closely related to the whole armor of God. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 says this. Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine, remember, this is Jesus, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded upon a rock. Listen, and everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now there's a whole awful lot in this parable that we can gather, that we can gain from it. And it's very much so worth a closer look. So, brothers and sisters, we have two houses Christ is telling us about here. Okay, these two houses, and first of all, I ask ourselves, what do these two houses represent? Okay, a lot of times I think, well, we look at this and we think, well, the Lord Jesus is talking about two households or something, but but I, I would tend to disagree with that now because Christ says, I will liken him unto a wise man, whoever hears these sayings of mine. So in this parable with the two houses, the house represents an individual person, okay, the house indi- represents a person. Each and every individual person is what the house is in this story. N- not necessarily a family, not a married couple. I think we look at it, we think it means a household. But that's not so. He's talking about the man that hears these sayings and does them, I will liken him unto. Or the man that hears these sayings and doesn't he- obey them, I will liken him unto a foolish man. So these two households... Christ is drawing an analogy. He's telling us a parable of two different men. One that heard and obeyed and one that heard and didn't obey. So two different individual people. And first, let's take note that the same thing happens to those two individuals. You notice what it, it doesn't say anything about, well, one of them was saved. So nothing bad happened to him. It doesn't say that the same exact thing happens. Whether you pray, whether you read every day, whether you get up every morning and you worship the Lord, it doesn't matter. Stuff is still going to happen. In this life, ye shall have tribulation. Stuff is going to happen. No matter how much you believe, it's going to happen to you. Winds and rains and storms, they will land on you at some point. I think that everyone in here can agree with that. At some point, everyone in here has been through a storm. I know for a fact there's many people even now going through difficult storms in their life. That's just the way it is. That's reality. It does not say that if you are a Christian, no rain or flooding or winds will come and beat upon your house. It doesn't say that. It says the rains descended. The floods came up. The winds blew and beat upon those two houses. So whether you believe or you don't believe, that stuff's going to happen. And life is going to beat on you sometimes. It's going to come and it's going to club you. No matter how much you say, I love you, Jesus, I believe in you, Jesus. Life is going to come. Winds and storms will come. Actually, the Gospel of Luke, which records this same parable, it says that the winds came up and beat vehemently upon that house, meaning it wasn't just a little gusts here or there, but these winds were raised up against this house to intentionally try and destroy it. So whether you're saved or not, you will have battles land on your lap. It, it breaks my heart, but there's another family from here in New Hope that I just learned a few days ago that I call them bombs, okay? Bombs just blow up right in their face. Didn't ask for it, didn't plan on it, didn't expect it, but another bomb. Yet another family going through stuff. Stuff happens, stuff lands on your lap. I know that every one of us can say amen to that. In this life, you'll have joy and you'll have sorrow, won't you? You'll have laughter sometimes and you'll have tears, won't you? I think we can all say amen to that. Now listen, we've got to remember Christ is speaking in a parable, you know, an analogy, an allegory, if you will. So we have to ask ourselves, you know, okay, what does these winds and rains and flooding, what do they represent? What does he mean? Brothers and sisters, we know what it means. It it means reality. It's what real, it's what we find happens to us human beings. We are frail bodies, things go wrong, we live in a fallen world. The winds and the rains and the storm and the flooding, they represent pain, suffering, tears, death and disease, broken dreams, broken promises, hurts, anguish, lost opportunities relationships that are broken, you name it, it represents all the junk that happens to us. That's what the wind and the rain and the Lord is saying, here, let me tell you what it's like. It's like one wise man who heard and obeyed and his house was beat upon. Luke says, beat vehemently upon. It's all this junk. Whether you're saved or not, in this life you'll have tribulations. Many times, The wind and the rain and the flooding and all this stuff that beats upon us. I I believe they're attempts of the enemy that he rises up a strong wind to beat on you. That he sees you. He comes across your path. He sees your house. And he says, I'm going to rise up a flood against this house and I want the wind to beat this house down. I want to see it collapse. They're the enemy's attempts to destroy you. The floods and the winds and the rain is the enemy's attempts. He comes lurking around and he sees these floods and he sees these bad circumstances and things we view negatively as opportunities to destroy you and bring you to ruin. The Gospel of John tells us the thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. That is the enemy right there. In a nutshell, that's him. Steal, kill, and destroy. That is his plan for your life. And he'll raise up a flood against you to try and accomplish it. He'll raise up winds against you to try and accomplish it. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy because he's a thief. He wants to beat upon you. His goal is knock your house down. To knock you down. To knock you off the stance that you've made that Jesus Christ is the Lord. He wants to knock you off that. His goal is to destroy you. His plan for your life is to ruin you, to bring you to ruin. He wants to erode your faith that Jesus Christ is the Lord. He wants you to cease and desist from serving God in any capacity. That's what he's trying to accomplish. So he raises up a wind and he sends it and says, let's see what this does. The winds and the rains and the storm are the enemy's attempt to get you to stop serving the Lord. He aims to stop you from reading your Bible. So he raises up a wind. He aims to stop you coming to Bible study. So he raises up a flood. He throws this stuff off you. Then he stands back to see if it hits you and knocks you down and collapses you. You see, you have to understand you have an enemy. He loves it when you're confused. He loves it. He smiles when you're filled with anxiousness. He enjoys it when you're depressed. depressed. He considers himself successful when he segregates you from the body of Christ. When he pulls you away from the rest of the flock, he, he is successful. You don't need to go to church today. Those people were hypocrites. Pastor don't even love you. He don't even care about you. Prayer doesn't work. Here, just stay away. Then the devil loves that. He smiles. He's accomplishing what he set out to do. When you quit coming to church, the devil looks back and says, mission accomplished. You see, the enemy relishes. He just relishes the fact when you're filled with anxiousness, when you're depressed, when you're filled with fear. He loves it. He loves it. See, it's funny to the enemy when he comes and he steals away your joy. He he enjoys it when he has stolen your peace. Oh, he's here to rob from you, to steal from you and to leave you for dead. That is what the enemy wants for you. That is what he wants. He is trying to blow your house down, to knock your house down. He does not want you to have peace. He does not. I I see it all the time. It did not take me very long of pastoring to see all the time that the devil comes and steals from people. He comes and steals from them. He takes all their joy away, their happiness. He takes their peace away. That people don't even enjoy their lives anymore. Because the devil comes and steals it. I see it all the time. People robbed. And I don't care whether you come to New Hope or saved or not. I see the enemy coming and taking from people. And you know that if he gets you down, he doesn't stop. Once he gets you down, he'll just stomp you. He'll stomp you. He wants you dead and ruined. We've got to realize this. He raises up these storms and he throws them at you in hopes that it knocks you down. the the bigger the fall the better it is to him he wants to see you collapsed he wants to strip you of all the fruits of the Spirit love joy peace temperance long-suffering gentleness he wants to steal those things from you and replace it with confusion fear anxiousness depression I see it all the time he wants you to fold Listen, a few months ago I preached on 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 that says that your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Do you understand that? He is looking around for someone, trying to find someone with no armor on to chew them up and to spit them out and leave them a dry pile of bones, dead, robbed, bankrupt. Devoid of all the goodness of God. That's your enemy. That's who he is. He's walking about. Looking around. Checking to see if this person has on the helmet of salvation. Or the breastplate of righteousness. Or if that person has the shield of faith. Or if that person has no sword. He's walking all around. He's out there and about looking for someone to chew up and spit out. You know that there was a time in the book of Job. How many have ever read the book of Job? But the book of Job, whoo, it's some serious stuff. But there was a time in the beginning of the book of Job that actually Satan, in some of his imps or demons, or whoever they were, actually presented themselves to God. And you know, God says, Whence comest thou, Satan? meaning Where do you come from, Satan? And Satan's response is is actually kind of scary. He says, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. That's what Satan tells the Lord when the Lord says, where do you come from? He comes from all over in this world. He's to and fro, in and out. That's your enemy, church. That is your enemy. What's he doing? walking around until he's seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for a Christian with no armor. He's looking for a Christian who hears the word but doesn't obey. That's That's who he is going to come after. He's looking for the brother or the sister that has separated themselves from the flock, who no longer comes, who no longer hears the word. And he wants to devour that person as a roaring lion. He wants to attack that person, seeking whom he may devour. Brothers and sisters, I hate to tell you this, but sooner or later, you're going to cross paths with him. He's going to throw a bomb at you. He's going to raise up a wind against you, your family, your children. He is going to throw something. He's going to throw a fiery dart at you as hard as he can and as fast as he can, maybe even as many as he can. To try and destroy you. To try to pierce your heart. To try to break you. And I'm wondering this morning, are you prepared? Do you have your armor on? Well, how do I get prepared? You put on your armor. You put on the armor that Ephesians tells us about. On Sunday evenings, we're going through it. Each piece we're learning about. <clears throat> let's, let's go back to our parable. Okay, so one of these house. Remember, the house represents an individual person. One of them stands and one of them falls. As a matter of fact, Jesus tells us of the house that fell. He describes it and he says... Great was the fall of it. Meaning, it didn't just kind of lean to one side. It didn't just kind of implode. It was a big, catastrophic implosion of the house. In other words, it was destroyed. When winds came to the house of the man that built his house on the sand, it was catastrophic destruction. Other translations of the Bible say it collapsed with a great crash. Why? Why? What was the difference between the two houses in this parable? You know, Christ tells us the difference. Back in Matthew 7:24, it says, "Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house on a rock." Back in Matthew 7:26 says, "And everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does them not shall be likened to a foolish man which built his house upon the stand." The, the wise man hears and does the teachings of Jesus. The foolish man hears too and just doesn't do them. Jesus says, The wise man that built his house, the wise man that does, that hears and does, is like a man that dug deep and built his house upon a rock. I mentioned earlier that Luke records this parable. Listen to the words that Luke. Uses and we know that Luke was actually a physician, and they believe that Luke was a learned man, and therefore some of Luke's writings are very detailed. So in Luke chapter six, verse forty-eight, it says, "He is like a man which built an house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock." So the first man, the one whose house who didn't fall. This man dug deep and built his house upon a rock. This man had a foundation, meaning he heard the words of Christ. He didn't only hear them, but he took in. He subscribed to the words of Christ. He took them and hid them in his heart. He obeyed the words. He loved the words of Christ. He dug deep. He got his roots deep down until he had a sure foundation. He understood it. He knew it. He knew what the Word said. And He had deep roots into it. And then, when He had that foundation, He knew why He was saved. He knew what He was saved from. He knew what He deserved in His life. He knew He was a sinner. He knew the foundation. He dug clear down so that He understood that stuff. And then He built upon that house. Upon that foundation. Now, I'm sure... His house took a lot longer to build than the other guy's. The other guy just came along and immediately started building his house. I'm sure that that other guy looked over and said, Hey, while he was kicked back in his hammock in his finished home, while the other guy might have still been digging. Hey, what you doing over there? This isn't a flood area. We ain't ever had a tornado. Why are you going to the trouble to dig so deep? But there that wise man was digging deep. Until he hit rock. Something that wouldn't shake. When the storms came. Something that wouldn't collapse. When floods came. And when bit, winds beat upon it. Mm. What well, that other man just said. Hey, just build right here on the sand. Nice and level. We've never had any trouble before. Nothing will ever happen. Well, actually Luke tells us. Of the foolish man that. He had no foundation at all. That's what it says in Luke. And it goes on to say that when the storms came, it says that house fell immediately. It uses the word immediately, meaning right when something bad happens, the house on the sand or on the earth just goes immediately. Can't survive at all. Bam, done. World full of depression, world full of anxiousness, confusion, lost. Immediately, when some problem comes up, Right then and there. Collapses. As soon as it came. Boom. It's ruined. The first bomb that comes along. Ruined. Didn't last. All this time. Trying to read it. All of it's gone. Erased. That's the foolish man. You know what I see when I read this parable. That Christ gives us. At least the difference. The difference. I see between these two men the house that stood and the house that fell the difference I see is the preparations they made one of them prepared and one of them didn't prepare one of them dug deep until he had a sure foundation one of them neglected it entirely and built on the sand and brothers and sisters I wonder which morning this one which one you are Is everything you've built? Is it built upon the sand? Would it wash away? Will it wash away when a bomb hits in your life? When a flood comes? When winds are beating on you relentlessly? Will it stand? Will you stand? Mm. Because listen, when bombs come to you, I will do my very best to encourage you, to pray for you, to, to go through the word and maybe share some scriptures with you. I will do that. But you have to put on the armor. You have to. I can't come and put it on you. You have to put it on. Because if you don't put on your armor, you're going to crumble. You're, and great will be the fall of it if you don't put your armor on. You know why I believe The Lord put this parable in my heart this morning. It's because I see the same two different kinds of people over and over. I see it over and over. There's two kinds of people in this ministry I'm meaning. Not necessarily out in the world. In this ministry I see two different kinds of people. I see people take tremendous bombs over, and, over. We, and we do, we have such, some folks in here are going through some things I hope I never have to go through, never, never in a million years, but yet those people are going through them, people go through terrible storms, terrible things, horrible things, but the first kind of people, and I can't hardly explain this, but they still have joy, they do. I have seen it on their faces. I have looked deep into their face and they still have peace. They still come to church and have a smile. They still come to church even though they're in a terrible situation. I look on them with my own eyes and I see them raising the Lord, worshiping Him where everything that the enemy has attempted to throw at them, the winds and the storms and the rain, and he has thrown fiery darts and he's kicked them and punched them and done everything that he can. But they still have peace. They still have joy. They still have meekness. They still have temperance, gentleness. They still have it. I've seen it with my own eyes. There's two different kinds of people. Even in the midst of it, their worship is still sweet. They're still sweet people to be around, maybe even sweeter than they were before the storm came. It's difficult to understand, I know, but I see it with my own eyes. It's like the devil tried his best to steal and to kill, but fails. His storms don't knock them down. They still believe Jesus is Lord and I will serve him, live or die. They belong to the Lord. Why? Because their foundation was too strong. Their foundation was more solid than the attacks of the enemy, and they had their armor on. And then I see the other kinds of people who go through storms. I'm only being honest with you, their joy is stolen. They're depressed, they're anxious, they're confused. They can barely even function normal living. I've seen it with my own two eyes. I'm only telling you what I've seen. They're filled with fear and uncertainty. The the enemy consumes them. And then once they start faltering, he even attacks more and more and more until that person is down. And then he just stomps and stomps and stomps. But strangely, some of them went through the same things the first kind of people went through. What's the difference? It's their preparation. It's the armor. One person had the armor on. One person had no armor. You see, because putting on... I I say the word preparation... You know, between the wise man and the foolish man. But putting on armor, if you think about putting on armor, the Ephesians 6 spiritual whole armor of God, that is an act of preparation, is it not? You put on armor, you are preparing for what might happen. You're preparing for an attack that may or may not happen. But just in case you're putting it on, it's preparation. That person is preparing. He's sowing into his word. He's looking and he's saying, what's it say about this? How do I get on this? How do I have loins girt about with peace or truth? How do I have the breastplate of righteousness? How do I get that on? What's it mean? The first person prepares and he knows and he's going through it and he's putting those pieces on. Tonight, we learn... About the third piece of armor. The Bible says, have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know, I I watched the video. I guess I don't want to get too ahead of myself for this evening, but fantastic. That's all I got to say. Each week that goes by, I'm like, yeah, this is the best one. No, this is the best one. And the next week, this is the best one. The Bible says, have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And, it, and back then, the Roman soldiers had a, a sandal-type boot. And you know what it was made for? It was made for stability in battle. And yet, the Bible says, have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Meaning, when a battle happens, you will have stability. You will have peace in the midst of a storm. So that's why the Bible says, equip this. The gospel of peace. That's this evening. Just fantastic. I love it. Brothers and sisters, I'm putting on my armor. And my armor's staying on. It's going to stay on. Let's think about it for a moment from the the enemy's perspective. Who would you go after? If it's your mission to kill, steal, and destroy someone, are you going to pick a tough-looking dude that's got all kinds of Thick, tough, gnarly-looking armor. And not only that, he's got a big old shield that the Bible says can quench all the fiery darts. And not only that, he has a sharp two-edged sword. Matter of fact, the Bible describes the two-edged sword as sharper than any other. So any other sword that's ever been forged or fashioned, this one is far sharper than them. Razor sharp. So if you're an enemy and you're out looking to destroy and to kill someone and leave them in ruin and to be victorious in your battle, are you going to pick that dude or are you going to pick the dude that has nothing? Just sitting there walking around like this, ain't got any weapons, no nothing, just bopping around. I'm going to pick the wimpy looking guy that doesn't have any armor on. They don't have any sword because I don't want to get stabbed. That sword is sharp. The enemy knows that this sword is sharp. He don't want pierced by it. The enemy's going to pick the one that's lagging behind. The enemy's going to pick the one that, (laughs) I go to church, but I don't know what in the world's in this Bible. That's who he's going to pick. He's going to pick the one that, if you say, hey, why are you saved? Oh, because I want to go to heaven. What are you saved from? Oh. That's who he's going to pick. He's going to pick the one that don't have no weapons and no armor. If I can bring this to a close now. I I just believe I need this message this morning. But I know there's so many folks that need this message this morning. Church, put your armor on. Put your armor on. Put that helmet of salvation on. Put the breastplate of righteousness on. Protects all your vital organs. Put your armor on. If I can call Rod and the band, make their way back up here, please. Brothers and sisters, put your armor on. Don't be caught without it. Make the necessary preparations because the enemy's going to find you. He's going to throw things at you. Listen, I want to know which one are you? Will your house stand or will it fall? Will it stand or will it fall? Will it collapse? Or will it make it through the storm? One person dug deep and the other person didn't bother to dig at all. New Hope, which one are you? Listen, I want to finish by reading the whole armor of God. Listen to this. You don't have to turn there, but Ephesians 6.14 says, Stand therefore. It's telling you to stand there. When the enemy comes, stand there. Stare him down. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Listen, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all not some all of the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and listen the sword of the spirit which is the word of god brothers and sisters put your armor on this morning put your armor on you're going to be attacked you're going to be destroyed if you don't make the necessary preparation put your armor on don't let the enemy come and fill you with depression and anxiousness and confusion and fear don't let him come and steal from you put your armor on this morning if we can stand please this morning church put your armor on this morning father god i pray that every single individual in here equips the essential pieces that you told us about in ephesians 6 you have instructed us to put this armor on lord I love Ephesians 6, I love every single piece of it Lord, I pray that every single person in here don't just have some of it on, but has all of it on Lord, equip us with our shield Lord, let us hold the shield up when the enemy throws fiery darts Lord, and the shield is our faith, it's our belief in Jesus Christ, let us stand behind that and it will block the fiery darts, all of them Lord. Won't be a single one of them come through and pierce us, Lord God, and kill us and destroy us, Lord God. Lord, help us to swing that sword of the Spirit, Father God. Albeit some of us may swing clumsily, Lord God, and goofy looking. But Lord, if we just taste one small victory, I pray that those that are under attack this morning taste one little victory of how sharp the sword is, Lord God. That when the enemy comes and attacks, We tell Him a Bible scripture just like Jesus did when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. He swung His sword and pierced the enemy and made Him flee for a season. Lord, teach Your people to fight. Teach Your people to put on that armor, Lord God. Teach it in Jesus' name. Church, these altars are open and let's worship one last time before we go. Hallelujah.